think, grace and peace to you all. I said that, right? My brain is skipping a beat. There's something about daylight savings time that throws me off. We got an extra hour of sleep last night, and I'm just as baffled and confused as I was when we lost an hour of sleep. Apparently, you just don't mess with my sleep. If I don't get my four hours a night, life is hard. If I get too much, it's just as hard. It's just weird. So let's go back in time. Let's go back a couple of thousand years and then another thousand past that and a little more past that. Back to a day when Moses was leading about four million Israelites through a desert away from where they have been held captive for centuries in Egypt. They have seen wonders and miracles done. They have seen the uh, pursuing army of the Pharaoh washed away after the waters of the Red Sea crashed together behind them. And they have seen Moses lead them to a mountain, Mount Sinai, in the middle of this desert-like area. And he's brought them and he's surrounded the mountain with them. He's ringed them around and they put markers out on the mountain and said, don't go past these markers because this is a holy place. And then Exodus 19, verse 16, it says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with thick clouds over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, and everyone in camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. How awesome would it have been to be right there hearing God's voice. This was the scene just before God spoke the ten words of covenant, what we now call the Ten Commandments. They were the rules for living as the people of God. They were the instructions that were intended to help them become the people that he had created them to be, both individually and as a group, to be the people he had created them to be. And as God explained it to the prophet Jeremiah, when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command, obey me. And I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. That was the whole goal of those Ten Commandments. To teach the people so that all would go well with them. Now about 1,500 years after that, a man stood on the side of a mountain and spoke to a crowd of people. And he brought them this message of hope. And encouragement, telling them that if they would simply walk in obedience to all that He commanded, all would go well with them. Does that sound familiar? Well, this man's name was Jesus. And He concluded His message with this audacious claim that His words were the Word of God. And Matthew ended his telling of this amazing Sermon on the Mount by telling his readers this. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. 
Now, what amazed them about what he was saying? It wasn't that he used parables or proverbs or hyperbole or any of the other teaching tools of the day. Well, he was masterful in his approach. There are a lot of good speakers. No, what astonished them was his claim of authority. There were a lot of teachers, but there were no other teachers who would have said, like Jesus did, how, th- how the people accepted and put the teachings of that teacher into practice would affect God's judgment of them. Jesus said, these words, how you put them in to your life, changes how God deals with you. Now just like those very first Israelites gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai, these first Christians received commands for how they were going to live their lives. Things that they were not to do and things that they were to do. And there were ten commandments to be followed under the Old Covenant. So Jesus gave ten commandments to be followed under His New Covenant. Starting, I'm sorry, stating each uh, in two ways. He said each of his commands in two ways. He said a negative way and a positive way. So that everyone would have a full understanding of what was expected. So what we're going to do here is we're going to cap off our series digging into the Sermon on the Mount by hearing the words of Jesus, which he said, and I believe, are the words of God. And hopefully then you will take these ten commands and you will put them into practice in your life. Why? So that all will go well with you. How many people want all to go well with them? How many people want to live a miserable and unrewarding life? No one? All right, just checking. There are those, you know. So Jesus gave ten commands. Here are the the first command. He said, seek unity. Jesus said, you have heard it. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Remember, Raka was a term of contempt. It was a slur, essentially. And after warning us not to harbor these hard, divisive feelings towards one another, Jesus said that we need to reach out in an effort to reconcile, even with people who have wronged us. We should reach out to reconcile with them. You will not commit mental murder, but you will make reconciliation your first religious priority. That is how we seek unity. The second command is to seek purity. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus then suggested that we should cut off our selfish thoughts just as harshly as chopping off a limb. He did not actually say, go chop off a limb. That was an example. Example, please do not go cut off anything. But remember, to seek purity, you will not commit adultery in your heart, but you will deal decisively with any impure thoughts. Decisively. That means harshly. It's been uh, white ribboning. It's pornography week. 
A number of you took little white ribbons last Sunday and you wore them this week. And hopefully if someone saw it, they said, hey, why are you wearing the ribbon? And you said, because I am promising that for this week, I am not going to spend any of my time, energy, or money on pornography. And good for you. If you want to keep that going the whole year, keep that ribbon on. It's okay. Just because white ribbon is pornography week is over doesn't mean you need to quit quitting pornography. In fact, please continue to quit pornography. To deal decisively with impure thoughts means you have to respond immediately. In a pornography recovery group meeting that I was in, I had another pastor who was there talking about his struggles and his difficulties and how he avoids pornography online. He says, there are times when God gives me a message while I'm there on the computer and I get this little thought that pops up in my head. Maybe I could go visit that website. You know the one. I'm going to go visit that site. He thinks, I'm going to visit that site. And God sends him one quick message. Get out. And for him, he said, that means, you know, we always hear that when, when we're tempted, we're never tempted beyond what God will allow us to endure. And he said, what they don't tell you when they tell you that is, you might be tempted and God gives you an exit, but if you choose not to take it immediately, you're trapped. He says, for him, when he hears that message from God, get out, what it means is get up and get away from the computer. In fact, for him, he says, I leave the house. I will leave my computer, I will leave my office, I will leave it behind, I will leave the house, I will go somewhere else physically unable to get to that website. Dealing decisively with impure thoughts is how we seek purity. Impure thoughts is not just about sex, by the way. It's all kinds of impure thoughts. I want to punch that guy in the throat. Ah, Not a good idea. Deal with that thought decisively. I'm not even going to tell you who it is or why I'm going to do it. I've dealt with that thought. It's gone. Third, commander, uh, third commandment relates to the bond that God might help us forge with another person and how it should be treasured and not resented. The third command is to seek relationship. In uh, Matthew 5.32, Jesus said, But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Which we can phrase as seeking permanence. Things of value should never be discarded easily, and they should be restored when they're damaged. The Mona Lisa was stolen. They cut it out of the frame. This is not recent. Long time ago. Well, it's a damaged painting now. Obviously, it's worthless. They should have just thrown it out, right? No, they took it. They restored it. They reframed it. They fixed what they could. It's not the same as it was before. But it could be restored. That's what people forget about relationships. And it's not just the marriage relationship. This is any relationship between people. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God, ever. And if you and the other person both devote yourselves to God and to rebuilding a relationship, it happens. And not only is a broken relationship restored in that way, but a lot of times it's repaired and stronger than it ever was. I guarantee it. Jesus promises it. As it's phrased here in uh, the Sermon on the Mount... 
We want to seek relationship. You will not divorce. You will make every effort to remain together with your spouse. And that is true for all relationships. Fourth, this one makes people uncomfortable. Seek honesty in all things. Seek honesty in all things. Jesus taught us that all you need to say is simply yes or no, and anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Don't make promises around your promises. Don't make vows. Don't swear on or by things because swearing on or by something is another way of saying, well, my word is no good, but I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to swear on the Bible because you know the Bible is good. You know what? Your word is good. Each and every person here, your word is good if you live with integrity, if you choose to live up to what you say. The word of a follower of the Son of God should be just as reliable as the words of Jesus Himself. You will not make vows, but you will always tell the truth, which makes any added vows unnecessary. I do a a Facebook page um, called Daily Bible Fact, where somewhere between six and eight days a week, figure that out, I post uh, a little fact just from my chapter of reading. And I originally I put this up so that four or five guys in my, in my accountability group could check and see whether I was doing my daily devotions because I would just post like a one-line thought from my daily devotion. And it kind of evolved into this thing where every day there's a chapter of the Bible that I read and then we post up a fact about that chapter of the Bible. Today, I was in Psalm chapter 5. And in Psalm chapter 5, something very interesting happens. David, King David, wrote this psalm, and he uh, said that um, the mouths of the wicked are like open graves. All right, so it's not as interesting to you yet. Hang on, let me give you a context. In fact, let me give you uh, two contexts. When uh, Jesus went to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who'd been dead for four days, and he said to the family of Lazarus, Open the tomb! Lazarus' sister, Martha, objected. She leaned over to Jesus and she said, but Lord, we can smell him from here. Because they didn't embalm bodies in ancient Israel. They would take them, they'd put them in a tomb, or they would put them in the ground, one or the other. And they'd, you know, if they had the money, they'd put them in a tomb, which is usually just a cave with a rock sealed over the top of it. And the reason that they wanted to do that was, uh, well, there were two or three reasons, but the main reason was, it's just like here, it's always 80 degrees and 80% humidity. People rot fast, and they smell. They putrefy. Martha wasn't kidding when she said, we can smell him from here, in spite of the fact that Lazarus was in a sealed rock tomb. After four days, that odor becomes very permeating. Uh, the house next door, we... Uh, cleaned it out after our last residents were there, and uh, there was a dead mouse in there. And since there were a couple of weeks between the time they left and the time the cleaner got there and found that poor dead creature, the entire house smelled like death. So if you opened a tomb, what came out? That smell. That heavy, unclean presence. So bodies were put in graves and they were covered as quickly as possible so that that wouldn't come out. David in Psalm chapter 5 is saying 
wise coming out of the mouths of the wicked are like an open grave where that putrefaction is belching out across you. How unpleasant. As followers of Jesus, we need to seek honesty. Do not make vows. Do not devalue your word. Instead, just always tell the truth. Always tell the truth. The next thing Jesus commands is that we always seek peace. He said, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. He then quite literally advocated going the extra mile. Such as when pressed into service by the oppressors who hold your country in an iron grip. Because that's what that related to. He said, if someone asks you to go a mile, go two. That's because Roman soldiers would conscript the people and the nations they ruled over. They would grab them and say, you carry my gear. Carry my load. And they could make someone carry stuff for a mile. Jesus is like, okay, they're going to ask you to go a mile, go two. Show them kindness whether they want it or not. Showing kindness in exchange for contempt and callous disregard is what that was. Is that hard to do? Absolutely. Very hard. But we can do it. I'm pointing at me. I should be pointing at you. We can do it. Nah, point at me too. We can do it. We can show kindness in any circumstance as long as we remember we are not going to seek retribution. We are always going to be generous even to those who hurt us. That's how we seek peace. Now, Jesus went from there to say we need to seek agape. Agape is the real true love. It's not that warm, fuzzy feeling you get when someone you care about walks into the room. Instead, it's the choice you make to put the welfare and interests of another person ahead of your own. That's agape. That's love. That is the Greek word that is translated as love in almost every instance in the New Testament. In Jesus' teaching in particular, this word agape is almost the only word that he uses for love ever. There are six different Greek words for love, but this is the one that he almost entirely sticks to. Seeking agape means that we will not hate our enemies, but that we will love and pray for those who persecute us. As Jesus said in Matthew 5.46, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? What good is it just to care about people who care about you? How quickly does that shrink your world down to just yourself? I'm not saying that other people can't or won't care about you, but if all you're ever doing is only loving people who love you, pretty soon you're going to find the only person who loves you is you. Seek agape. Always seek to love the other. If you wanted to get broader about it, we talked about this when we hit this part of the the sermon. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, love your enemy. Well, if we're loving our neighbors, ourselves, and our enemies, who's left? There's no one outside of that circle. I guess we're just supposed to love everyone. Darn it. 
Now, why should we do any of these things? Or maybe we should ask, what would be the wrong reason to do them? Because the next command that Jesus gives is that we need to keep the proper motives fixed in our hearts. It's easy to turn our doing the right things into a plea for recognition. Look at me, I do good deeds all the time. Aren't I great? But our motives matter, and we need to seek to do what's right because it's the right thing to do, and not because it might benefit us as well. You will not perform religious duties to gain human approval. You will perform religious duties because it's the right thing to do. It's God's approval that matters. Not people's approval. I come up here and preach the Word of God because... That's what God asked me to do. I tried to do everything else first because I am just as bad at listening to God as any other person. But this is what God asked me to do. I hope that you all approve of me. But you know what? That's not what matters. What matters is that I'm sharing what God has shared with me. Jesus says we don't need to worry about reward because our Father in Heaven who sees the things we do in secret will reward us. And that's enough, or it should be. If you're reaching for anything else, you're not reaching for God. Or as Jesus put it in Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, or God and fame, or God and yourself. Or God in anyone or anything else. The Creator should always be more important than the things He created. The Creator should always be more important than the things He created. Which brings us to the 8th commandment. Seek contentment. Seek contentment. When we trust in God and work on living in His kingdom, He will take care of us. Matthew 6.25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Life is ultimately even about more than life. God is the source of life, which means that death is not as fatal as we tend to think about it. Who gave you life? God. Who could give you more life? God, who should you care about what they think and do about your life? God, what's the worst thing any one of you could do to me? Deprive me of life. How long is that going to last if God says I get to live? Not long, huh? That means we need to be focused on becoming who we were created to be. And we need to look at ourselves honestly. In uh, Celebrate Recovery, we talk about ruthlessly rooting out our character flaws and dealing with them. And other traditions use different words to express this same idea that there's a, a higher level of maturity we should all be striving for. After all, none of us is perfect. I'm sorry to break it to you. I know some of you might have been thinking, well, I'm perfect. But no, the truth is, none of us are perfect. But we're never going to be able to reach for maturity if we don't take our eyes off of others. Jesus talked about there being a roof beam blocking your vision that needs to be removed before you can help someone with the speck of dust in their eye. 
We always want to make the sins of other people seem larger than our own. We always want to make our screw-ups seem smaller than they really were. If you ever go to someone and say, are you a good person? I can pretty much guarantee they're going to say, absolutely. And they're immediately going to compare themselves to someone who they think is horrible. I am a good person. I'm not like Hitler. I'm not like Stalin. Because these are the worst examples of human beings that most people can think of. I'm not like this bad guy. I'm not like my third cousin who does nasty things to the family. No one ever thinks to compare themselves to Mother Teresa. I'm a good person, just like Mother Teresa. Oh yeah, how many lepers in India have you been hanging out with? No one ever wants to compare themselves to someone who they think might be better. Now, of course, scripturally speaking, there's only one person we're allowed to compare ourselves to. Anyone care to guess who that might be? Jesus, you are correct. How are you living when you compare yourself to Jesus? How are you doing? I'll be honest, that is not always a comfortable comparison for me. But that's who we get to use as a guide. We can use Jesus as a guide for what we can be. And then we can find anything that's pulling us out of alignment with Jesus and one by one deal with those things. Those weights that are hanging on us. Those hang-ups that drive us in a different direction. Anything that's pulling us out of that Jesus-shaped life. And I'm not saying you have to be exactly like Jesus. Most of us don't want to wear the little blue Miss America sash. It's not our fashion. But in all the things that matter, all the things that he's talking about right here, that's what we want to model ourselves after. Anything that's keeping us away from these things is something that we need to keep away from us. Right? One by one, we can deal with the things that pull us away from being like Jesus. And God will help us do that if we ask. Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 said, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? How much more then will God give good gifts to people who ask Him for gifts? God's never going to give you crap. At least not in this context. How much more will God give gifts, good gifts to those who ask Him for the things that they need? I promise, I promise, God pours blessings into every one of our lives. Even when, like children blinded by our own ignorance, we don't notice the blessings. I look at my kids and all the things that I do for them and all the things I do to make sure they have happy, healthy lives surrounded by what they need so that they can grow and flourish. And how much of that do they understand that I do? Nothing. (laughs) Almost nothing. My son will insist that we never go to the grocery store because he hates going to the grocery store. But if he gets home and there's no food there, he's baffled. Where is the food? I said, well, I buy that for you. Why didn't you? Well, we haven't gone to the grocery store for a week because you wouldn't let me get out of the car at the grocery store without throwing a tantrum. He doesn't get it. A lot of times we don't understand the blessings that come in our lives. We need to open our eyes. 
When you pay attention, these things come a lot more clear. And it takes practice to take attention. You need to to take notice of the good things in your life. From the simple to the complex, we are blessed in a thousand different ways every day. And there's a Jewish tradition, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, this Jewish tradition of saying a hundred blessings a day. That means recognizing 100 good things in your life every single day. In an average 16-hour day, that means about every 10 minutes you recognize one blessing. In Orthodox practice, there are rules about how these blessings are supposed to be counted and acknowledged, including thanking God for waking, thanking God for breathing, for praying, for meals, and as I mentioned when I brought this up a couple of weeks ago, there's even a blessing, a thanks that you say to God for peeing. Which sounds crude, I know, but if you're a man with prostate problems, you may understand how grateful someone could be for relieving themselves. If you are someone who has a bladder infection, you may understand how blessed you are when you relieve yourself. If you are someone who needs to go but can't find a restroom that's open to the public, you probably understand how important it is And how much of a blessing it is to be able to relieve yourself. If you can't find a convenient tree, you probably understand. What's amazing about blessings is the more you practice recognizing what God has given you, the more you realize God is giving you. The easier it becomes to see more and more things you hadn't noticed before. When you practice counting to 100 blessings, you very quickly find that it's hard to stop at 100. I've counted 100 blessings today, and I've still got three hours to go. How many more good things are going to happen? When we really understand how much God does for each one of us, we find it easier and easier and easier to trust Him. And remember that he will only ever give us good gifts. He'll never give you a bad gift, even when you ask for it. Even when you think it's going to be good. Seek blessings. You will not avoid prayer because you doubt God's goodness. You will know that God is good and you will trust him. When you seek blessings, those are the things that happen. So there you go. Those are the Ten Commandments of being a Christian. Those are the Ten Rules for Living that Jesus gave to His followers so that if they walked in obedience to what He told them, it would go well with them. If we do these things, life is fuller, it's more joyful, it's more righteous. But if Ten Commands is too many for you, if Ten is too hard to remember, just remember this one. Matthew 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This was and is the central point of everything Jesus taught. It was the point of everything that came before Him. It was the point of all the Scripture that came before Him. Or since. Everything that's happened since him, this is the point. This is the point. If we just get this one thing right, everything else will fall into place. This is the key to righteous living. This is the key to a happy life. This is the key that opens the gates to the very kingdom of God, which is right here on earth, right now. Now you know how to get in. 
You have the key. You can open the gate. Jesus has invited you to come and open the gate into the kingdom of God. He has called you in. Like someone who's invited you over to his house and given you a key. Hey, just let yourself in. And when you get here, come check out the fridge. I got your favorite soda. Got your favorite sandwich makings. Come on in. We'll have lunch. It'll be great. In fact, that's what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Let me in. We'll have a meal as friends. Here he's giving you a key to his kingdom. Hey, come on into the castle. We'll have a meal together as friends. Jesus has invited you to come in. What are you doing with his invitation? I've got a song we're going to close with this morning. Before I close us in prayer. We have these uh, places of prayer. If you feel in your life you are having trouble accepting God's invitation, if you're having trouble following any of His commands, I invite you to come up here and discuss it with Him. Spend some time in prayer. Remember, don't avoid prayer. God will only ever give you good gifts when you ask. Jesus has invited you to come in. I pray that you will enter the kingdom. As we play uh, this music piece, you've got three or four minutes. You pray where you're at. You can come pray up here. If you need someone to pray with you, grab me and I will come and pray with you. And then we will close after that. God, in the person of Jesus, you made this so simple for us. Both by his example that we can live to, by his words that teach us how to live, and by his simplification of even his Ten Commandments down to one simple command to live according to the principle of love. God, you've made this easy for us intellectually. Physically, emotionally, we may struggle. Psychologically, we may have difficulties. But God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us strive to become the person you created us to be. Help guide us on the paths towards maturity, towards your righteousness, Lord. Help us remember to communicate with you, to rely on you, and to care for ourselves and one another the way that you intend, God. Wherever we go in this world, Lord, I know that you are already there, so we have nothing to fear. Remind us of your presence so that we can lean on your strength, so that your arms can hold us up when our knees would buckle. If there are things that we need to get away from, let that get out be something that we hear and respond to immediately. And in all things, Lord, I pray that you would always remind us of Jesus and his love for each and every one of us. We are your beloved children. 
You have made these promises to us. I pray that each and every one of us would rely on your promises and your truth. We pray all these things in the name of that same Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen and amen.